Uh, now you know a little bit of what it's about and what's going on, and you came back anyway. Praise the Lord. And uh, I'm glad you're here. We're going to talk about Jesus tonight, and uh, the title, our, our chapter title is Who is Jesus? Now, by now, you've, you've learned a little bit about your book. You've um, been developing your daily devotion, uh, reading, and uh, prayer time. And so uh, you, you may have experimented a little bit. We're trying to find out what works for you. And you should be getting somewhat into a, the groove of it now. So stick with it, all right? If you're still trying to, to fine-tune that down to what helps you grow the best, keep on tuning it in, all right? And make this uh, uh, the best it can be for your relationship with your Lord, all right? With our God. Um, and that's, what, that's our goal, to grow closer to Him. So tonight, we're in chapter 3, um, and the title again is, as you see, Who is Jesus? Um, we're learning about Him. By the way, if you need to, need to go back, these lessons, I don't know if I mentioned this last week or not, but in case I didn't, these lessons are on the church website, they're online, uh, so you can go back and take a look uh, if you missed anything, okay? So that's an excellent resource that we have as well, all right? So chapter 3, page 49, who is Jesus? We're going to start off reading uh, 1 John 4, 3. This is going to be uh, the, the key verse you'll find at the top of every page through this chapter, okay? And it says this, our Bible says, And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you so much for your son. Lord, we thank you for just who you are. Lord, we praise your name tonight. Lift you up, Lord, for your goodness and greatness to us. Lord, I pray that you would speak to every heart tonight, dear Lord. May we uh, learn more about you. May we draw close to you, Lord. May we develop habits and a routine that is, uh, Lord, all involved and, and, and all wraps around you, dear Lord, and is all uh, Lord, consistent with what you want us to be, Lord. Help us to grow. Help us to learn about you, Lord. May you get the praise and the glory out of everything that is accomplished tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we see here um, in our text, it is all about Jesus. All right? And we'll get back to looking at our, our 1 John 4, 3 in a little bit. Uh, but to start off, our, our author makes a very good point. He he looks back at the, the reference of Jesus talking with his, his disciples, and he asked them in Matthew uh, 16, verses 13 and 14, when Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Very good question. And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So they're asking, who is, who is Jesus? This is something that Jesus asked his disciples. And more importantly, it's a question that we must ask. Must, it must be answered today. We must ask ourselves this question. Jesus turned the question in the very next verse, Matthew 16, 15. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? 
who is, and that's the title of our, uh, of our chapter, who is Jesus? Who do you say Jesus is? The men of the day were claiming him to be just a, a good man, a great teacher, a prophet, claiming him to be some uh, a person that was held high in, in Jewish culture. Some may have even claimed him to be an imposter. But he turns the question around, and it's the most important question for you. Most important question. And that is, who is Jesus to you? It's very important that we know who Jesus is. Moving on in Matthew chapter, chapter 16, the next two verses, And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Peter, quick to give an answer, okay? We all, we all kind of see throughout Scripture that Peter didn't like those silent moments, those awkward, silent, kind of cricketing moments. He wanted to hear him say something. But Peter jumps here. He gives a good answer. Thou art Christ, the Son of the living God. Who is Jesus? What's amazing and about this passage, these two verses, is that Jesus, when he responded to that, he said, look, flesh and blood did not show you this. There was one person who revealed Jesus to Peter, and that was God the Father. He showed them. God set everything up. We're going to see it throughout Scripture. You find it from, from front to back cover your Bible. God is setting everything up to show who Jesus is. It was all centered around him. The, all the Old Testament prophecies pointing to Jesus coming. He was excited about Jesus coming to the, to the earth. Then all the New Testament is all about what Jesus did. Four different books on just Jesus being here. He was excited about his son being here because it was his son. And because his son renewed our relationship with him. His blood covered our sins so we could have a relationship with him. Just spectacular when we, when we take a look at it. So here, on page 50, moving along, we get to our first blank of this evening, and it says this, Indeed, Jesus is God. We call this truth the deity of Christ. The deity of Christ. This deity is talking about divine status, whether it's by quality or by nature. It's divine. It's deity. Why, the question is asked, why does this matter? Why is this important? Our next, here in bold on page 50, the next blank, knowing who Jesus is guards us against false teachers. Knowing who Jesus is guards us against false teachers. Now we could say this, if we look through the pages of our Bible, the writers, especially of our New Testament, we get especially to the epistle, the letters to the churches, the writers warn greatly about false teachers. 
You think to, to Paul warning and Peter and John and Jude. They all warned against false teachers. Why? Because they were popping up very, very, they become very popular in their day. They started writing about them. Listen, beware of these false teachers. Paul, you mentioned, if it doesn't come from me, from what the apostles have told you, don't believe it. If you hear about it, maybe even check with us. Check with the apostles because it's got to be true. It's got to be right. And there are many false teachers that have come up. And our key verse, 1 John 4, 3, Every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. If it says that Jesus is not the Christ, it's not of God. Do not believe it. And this is the spirit of Antichrist. It's, it, it's the spirit of everything against Jesus. Whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. Jesus warned about it. He warned that it would come up, and it was here. John said, look, it's already here. So here's the, here's the thing that we got to understand. If false teachers were so popular that many of the writers of our Bible felt the, the need to, to warn us about it, then, nearly 2,000 years ago, how much more is it today? How much more false teaching is there today? Oh, it's everywhere. There are lies all over the place. And they'll mix in a little bit of truth with it to make it sound good. To make it appealing. We've got to beware. We've got to have our guard up. And listen, take this book and measure everything you hear. Even if you think you might already know it, go back and double check. Check it with this book. Check it with our, what God has given us. It's a must in our Christian life. On the bottom of page 50, not only does knowing Jesus help us guard against false teachers, but knowing who Jesus is helps us as we share the gospel with others. When we understand who Jesus truly is and what, he, what all he did for us, well, it becomes easy to tell other people, Hey, guess what Jesus did for me? Let me tell you all about him. Let me tell you about this man that I met and I've learned about. Let me tell you all about him. It makes it easier when we know who Jesus is. The Bible teaches about the deity of Christ, and it's by God's love the ultimate price was paid for us, and that was Jesus' death. You think of Romans 5, 8. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ paid the ultimate price for us. So we could have salvation. So everyone could have salvation. It's important to share it, to tell others. So... Knowing who Jesus is guards against false teachers, helps us share the gospel. On page 51, knowing who Jesus is allows us to know and follow him. Jesus, during Jesus' ministry, he, he, had, he healed, he taught, 
He raised from the dead. He did many wonderful things. But during his ministry, he claimed to be God. And the sad thing is, there were many that chose not to believe. They chose even after, and that's why Jesus asked these questions. Who do people say that I am? Then, who do you say that I am? Peter knew the right answer. Thou art Christ, the Son of the living God. And he he knew this. If Jesus is God, then he is definitely worthy to be followed. Think about that. If Jesus is God, he is definitely worthy to be followed. So when it comes to asking ourselves this question, who is Jesus to me? If he's God to me, then he is definitely worthy for me to completely follow. In our lesson here, we're going to see Jesus is God. A few things here to show us the deity of Jesus. The bottom of page 51, his deity is shown through his names. Through his names. He is called God. Over from page 52, he is called God. Isaiah called him in the famous verse we look at it at Christmas time in Isaiah 6, 9 6. You see that uh, for unto us a child is born, and then it lists his name. He's the mighty God. In John, John, uh, um, the Gospel of John, Thomas said, He's my Lord and my God. We see Jesus. He called. He is called God. We also see he claims to be the Jehovah. He claims to be Jehovah. It, Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. What do we know about God talking to Moses in the book of Exodus? He says, I am that I am. Moses, tell him I am has sent you. Also, in his claim to be Jehovah, we see in John 17, 5. Take a look at this verse. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Here, he is claiming to to receive the glory of God the Father. If he's going to claim that, if he's going to claim to be glorified, then he is God. He is Jehovah. Because glory goes to God and no one else. And Jesus knew that. So he can claim to be Jehovah because he is one to receive glory. Isaiah said this, Isaiah 42, 8. I am the Lord, this is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. He's not going to give his glory away. He's God. He understands. He is the receiver of being glorified. He's not going to give it to anybody else. It's not for anybody else to have. Not an image, not any person, not anything. It's his and his alone. He's also God, on page 53, that he is called the Son of God. You think about the famous John 3.16, the first verse many of us ever learned. God loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. He's the Son of God. 
Now understand this. You'll, you'll find this here on page 53 if you want to go back and read it. But in the culture of the Bible, they did not see any ranking or inferiority type of system. We do. We have ranking. Okay, so understand this about our Bible. They didn't. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all on the same for their co-equal. All at the same level. Just like we rank sin. Guess what? Sin is sin in God's eyes. There is no little white lie. You lie, you lie. Okay? And it's the same as every other sin you're going to commit. You know, we, we kind of rank, you know, a little white lie is kind of okay, and then killing somebody really bad. Guess what? God sees it all as sin. Taking somebody's innocent blood is just as bad as telling a little white lie. It's all sin. We have developed a ranking system, not God. So when we view our Bible and we view how they're, they're God's view of things and His purpose, there is no ranking. It is not Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So He is equal to God. No ranking, no point of being inferior. John also, or, or John records, in speak, Jesus is speaking at the end of verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 18. He says, God was his father making himself equal with God. Jesus made himself equal with God. He, he claims this. So if he claims it, we should believe it. We should trust it. We can put faith in it. On page 53, we see, not only see his deity in his name, but we see his deity, his deity is shown through his works. When Jesus was on earth, and even now, Jesus, he performs the works that only God can do. We're going to see some examples about this. I'm, I was about to go ahead and get ahead of myself, but we'll see some examples as we go through, all right? In John 1, 3, all things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. He was there. When everything was made, Jesus was there. He had a part of it all because he is God. In Hebrews 1, 3, we see he, he preserves all things. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had, him, had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. He is there upholding all things with the word of his power. He is there preserving. We see he forgives sin. On page 54, he forgives sin. We see here an example in, in Mark chapter 2 of uh, a man sick of palsy has come to him wanting to be healed. And he says, uh, um, rise, take up thy bed and walk. He says this in verse number 10, But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the sick of the palsy. He said, look, thy sins can be forgiven. I have power to forgive sins. Now, 
That right there, that's the power of God. Because there's not anybody that can forgive sin except God. So if He can do it, He's God. Proving His deity. He gives eternal life. John 17, 2. And now has given Him power over all flesh, that He should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given Him. If He can give away a place in His home, then yes, He's got power. You don't just walk up into somebody's home and say, hey, I'm going to have so-and-so come here and they're going to take this bed and they're going to live here with you. You don't just do that. Maybe in your own home. But this is Jesus' home. He's given us a place there. He's given us eternal life. He's God. Next, we see His deity is shown through worship. Our Bible is very clear on who we're to worship. There is no ifs, ands, or buts on that. It's very clear who we are to worship. And it is God. In Luke 4, 8, And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Worship only goes to God. Think of all the men in our Bible, who stopped people from worshiping them. Paul said, look, I, I'm, I'm the chiefest of sinners. Don't worship me. Don't, don't, don't. You follow him. I'll help you get to him. I'll teach you about him, but you worship him, not me. Peter, it's all about him. One of the most famous ones, though, and one that I just think gives us a very vivid picture of Men stopping is John the Baptist. Don't, don't worship me. I'm not worthy. He was a good preacher. People like that. He even had people following him. But he said, look, I'm not worthy to bend down and unloose the shoe of Jesus. I want you to think about that for a minute. The shoe around a dirty foot. I'm not worthy to untie his shoe. Think about how low that is. He said, look, if you're going to worship somebody, you worship him. Not me. I'm not worthy to untie his shoe. You worship him. His deity is shown through worship. So there's, there's men that are all about worshiping God, worshiping Jesus because he's God. You think about uh, uh, the wise men. And they came from so very far. And they told, when they got in, in their town, they said, look, they're looking for the king of the Jews so they can come. They've come from very far to worship him. Come to worship him. We see other examples here in our book. Those in a ship, those that were in a ship came to worship him. You see that in Matthew. There's... The, the blind man who worshipped him after he was healed. You see it in John chapter 9. The father commands the angels to worship him. You see that in Hebrews chapter 1. Let all the angels of God worship him. So we see 
throughout Scripture. He is God because many were worshiping Him. On page 55, we see His deity is shown through His attributes. Understand this about Jesus. Those attributes we saw last week that were unique to God only, Jesus has all those. I'm going to show you a few of them. But all those that God had, God the Father had, God the Son has as well. So you think about the omnipotence. Jesus said, all power is given unto me. He had all power. He's omniscient. In John, we see that we are sure that thou knowest all things. So, already there's two. Jesus knows all things. Listen, Jesus predicted his own death. Okay? He, he told the disciples how he would die. That he, that he would die, when he would die, and that he would rise again. How would he know that unless he's God? In Matthew, when he's telling them this, he's, he's, telling, he's saying there he's going to be killed and be raised again on the third day. How do you know it's going to be three days? You think of the detail that he went into in explaining all this, yes. He knew the details all about it. So yes, he is God. He has the deity of God. He's omnipresent. In Matthew 28, he said, Lo, I am with you always. He is eternal. In the beginning was the Word. He's immutable. In Hebrews, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. His holiness, also in Hebrews, for such a high priest became who is holy. All these attributes, and many more, we can go on and on. That's just a list to get you started. All of these attributes, God, they are unique to God, and Jesus has them just the same. So we see... As mentioned, as we mentioned earlier, Jesus is not just a good teacher. He's not just a prophet. He's not any of those famous people that people that men thought that he was. He's God. At the bottom of page 56, a couple blanks here. We see, however, that the Bible explicitly states that he is God. He is God. Because he claimed to be God, he couldn't just be a good teacher. He is God. And here, if he is not God, he was either a liar, claiming to be what he is not, or a lunatic, confused about who he really was. He was either a liar, claiming to be what he was not, or a lunatic, confused about who he really was. Neither of these, liar nor lunatic, neither of these describe the Jesus of the Bible. He was neither a liar nor a lunatic. 
He is the Lord. He is the Lord. Throughout the ages, men have tried and tried to discredit Jesus, to bring him down to our level, to show that he was not God. But the proof always goes back to, yes, he is. He is Lord. He is God. He has the deity. It's been well proven. So Jesus is God. On page 57, Jesus is the Savior of the world. We find this, and you can, you can read Philippians 2 and see this. I'm just going to briefly summarize it here. Jesus humbled himself and was made in the likeness of man, came to earth, and obeyed God even unto death. God exalted him to where he has a name above all other names, where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Jesus came to be the Savior of the world. On page 57, he came to us. Jesus came to us. The baby boy born in a Bethlehem manger was God, clothed in human flesh. That's just fascinating. It's fascinating. It, it's amazing that God would love us so much to send himself to become, to put on flesh. To, to be with us and to, to uh, save us from our sin and to have a relationship with us. It's amazing that he would do that in the first place. But Jesus took on flesh. John 1.14 And we, I'm sorry, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory and the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word, you'll notice the word, word is capitalized, capital W. Speaking of Jesus, he's the word, all right, what this book is about. So he was made flesh. We find in Luke chapter 1, you know this from Christmas, he was born from a virgin. You can see the account of Mary giving testimony. She didn't know a man, but here she's going to have a son. This was, this was prophesied hundreds of years earlier through Isaiah when he said, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. He also said, You'll call his name Emmanuel. The name Emmanuel, or spelled Emmanuel with an E in the New Testament, literally means God with us. It's fulfilled in Matthew chapter 1. Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. That is just fascinating. It's amazing. It's a miracle. That God sent His Son just so God could be with us. You think about the meaning of that word. 
God with us. This all took place. Jesus coming to earth. The reason we celebrate Christmas. It all took place because God wanted. He desired to be with us. We're not praying. We're not learning about. We're not talking to a God that is just there that we're trying to reach for. No. He desires to be with us. It's what Emmanuel shows us. Fascinating. Even the place of Jesus' birth had been prophesied 450 years before he was born. 450 years before he was born. Only God. Only God could predict the location for where he would choose to be born and then completely fulfill that prediction. This is, shows our amazing God. It's one of the many examples uh, of the reason that our faith should be in him and him alone. He tells us something years, hundreds of years before it even happens, and then it comes out to the very detail. When Joseph was going to be attacked and he had to go to Bethlehem, he may have been, why has this happened to me? Why do I got to go to Bethlehem? This is, this is the terrible time. But it was all part of God's plan. It was all God. He knew, he knew how he was going to work things, and he, just, he had it all planned out. We see in Micah this prediction. He says, Bethlehem, out of thee shall he come forth unto me to be the ruler of Israel. Jesus, sorry, because Jesus here on the page, on page 58, because Jesus came and lived in our world, he knows our feelings, needs, and temptations, not only by his omniscient knowledge, but also by experience. Also, by experience. Jesus knows. Hebrews tells us that he is an high priest, has the feeling of our infirmities, and is all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He knows. Jesus had flesh, so just as we do, he understands sadness. He understands hurt. He understands grief. He understands anger. He understands betrayal. He understands tears. And the list is going on. He understands all that. There's not anything that we have or ever will go through that Jesus doesn't understand. Because he had this flesh. He experienced himself. We find throughout the gospel records of things that he had to go through. He got angry, but he didn't sin. He went and wept because he was sad. He grieved. He was hurt. Hey, he was betrayed. I think he understands all that we're going to go through. He also understands joy and happiness and excitement and being glad. He gets all that. Even though Jesus experienced the same temptations we face, he never sinned because he is God. 
He never sinned. That's where we have trouble. We fall to the temptation. He never did. So we also understand this. Not only did he come to us, but he died for us. He died for us. God created a perfect world without sin. And it wasn't until sin entered the world that death and suffering followed. We understand this. If we read through Romans, we understand all this and how it happens. But in Romans 5.12, we see, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Sin entered by one man. At the same light, if we keep reading in Romans 5, we'll, Romans 5, we'll find out that because God designed it this way, to where by one man sin entered into the world, by one man we could all be redeemed from that sin. You'll find that in Romans 5. Take a look at it. The Bible also tells us the payment for this sin. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. That's the payment. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Eternal death. That's the payment. Yet, because God loved us, He's going to pay that penalty for us. Romans 5.8 For God commended His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So sin entered by one man. Now we all have sin. The penalty for that sin is eternal death. But... He died for us. He loved us so much, Jesus died for us. If Jesus were not God, there's no way he could have paid for the sins of the world. It would have been impossible. Yet, because he is God, his blood was powerful enough to cover the sin of the entire world. Think about it. Our blood is only powerful enough to cover sin for one. If I shed it, it could be covered for me. It could be my own sacrifice. But his is powerful enough cover the sin of the entire world. That's how great Jesus is. In 1 John, John tells us he's the propitiation for our sin, the appeasement for the sins of the whole world. Next, he came to us, he died for us, on page 59, he saves us. He saves us. And He will save anyone who will call on His name. Call. The, our Bible describes it as call, turn, and trust. You call out for the Lord to the Lord for His gift. You turn from self-effort and you trust in the payment that Jesus has already made. Repentance, turning from self, faith, trusting in what God has done on our behalf. Ain't this exciting to see what Jesus did for us? To see, to see that he came here for us, to be with us. He died in our place, and he saves us for all eternity. It is truly exciting to see all this. God has given us a direct promise that any and everyone who will truly and sincerely call on his name will be saved. They'll receive salvation. 
Romans 10, 13 tells us this. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We've also seen in, in 1 John 4, 14. We have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. This is why He came, to save us. To save us from our sins. So we've seen Jesus is God. We've seen He came to be the Savior of the world. On page 60, Jesus is the risen Lord. The most spectacular evidence of Jesus' deity was His bodily resurrection from the dead. His bodily resurrection from the dead. As we all know, Luke 24, verse 6, says this. He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee. He told us this would happen. He's not here. He's risen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. He rose from the grave. This was the crowning proof of Christianity. Oh, there's so much about the resurrection that's just absolutely wonderful. Everybody had to die. We all need a sacrifice. But what makes it possible for us to trust in Him as a Savior is the fact that He arose from the grave. Jesus. And here's the thing about Jesus. He didn't just uh, uh, rise from the dead secretly. In our Bible... There are over 10 different recorded appearances of Jesus after he arose from the dead. Over 10 that we have recorded. May have been many more. We see Luke write in Acts 1-3, To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days, speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. He showed himself for 40 days. On one account, well, here we'll see this. He showed himself multiple times, one of which was to a gathering of over 500 people who testified as eyewitnesses. Over 500 people. We see that recorded in 1 Corinthians 15, 6. After that, he was seen above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained into his presence, but some have fallen asleep. So here, he showed himself alive. Now, I begin to wonder... In looking at this, why would Christ go to so much trouble to remain here after he had completed his work, had the crowning proof of Christianity, rose from the grave? Why would he stick around and show himself for 40 days to over 500 people? Because he wanted us to know the tomb was empty. He wanted the world to see, yeah, y'all put me in there. But I walked out. Y'all, y'all killed me on a cross and put me in a tomb, but I'm not there anymore. He wanted there to be plenty of eyewitnesses that he's alive. So it's not just that he said he would arise from the grave. It's the fact that he did, and he showed people. We see he has forever conquered death. I like this part. 1 Corinthians 15, 54b. 
I'm going to read the last part of the verse. Then shall be, bro- then shall be brought, brought to pass the saying that is written. Right there it is. Death is swallowed up in victory. <laughs> Jesus conquered death. Notice a few verses down in 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God which giveth us, giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have we can be partakers in that victory. Jesus conquered death. Victory over the grave. This is how I can trust in him. See, the tomb, the grave says, I'm going to keep you here forever. And Jesus said, not me. I'm going to walk out. I'm going to conquer death and give salvation to all those who will trust in me as Savior. I paid the price. I'm walking out of here. On page 61, Jesus will build the church. Matthew 16, 18, And I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Man, ain't that a great statement? Jesus purchased the church when he died on the cross. Because he purchased it, and he and he, he rose from the grave, he is the head of the church. So, when Jesus is telling this to Peter, he says, thou art, But thou art Peter, and upon this rock, if you notice, still up there, if you notice, there's a comma after Peter. Okay? He's sort of saying, You're Peter. But he's saying, Upon this rock, not upon that rock. Here's where some people have got confused, all right? You're Peter, but upon this rock, upon me, I'm the rock, I'm the cornerstone. I will build my church. Understand this, there is not a thing you can do to build Faith Baptist Church. There's not a thing a pastor can do to build Faith Baptist Church. Who's going to build Faith Baptist Church? Jesus. Why? Because it's His. It's His church. He will build it. He said, you're Peter, but you cannot build the church. A great head disciple, but you can't build the church. It's upon this rock. And I will build my church. He will use us to do it, but He's the one that does it. It's all about Jesus working through me. Not me doing it. Him working through me. Jesus wants to work in us. And then he's going to work through us. And he will build his church. Understand, that's important. In Colossians 1.18, we see where he is the head of the church. He is the head. It's his body. On page 62, we see Jesus should be the Lord of our lives. If he's God, if he's the Savior of the world, if he's the risen Lord, then he is to be 
the Lord of our lives. He has saved us from sin. Our works were not good enough, no matter how good we are. He saved us. He died, paid the penalty, rose from the grave, so we could have eternal life. And He should be the Lord of our life. If He saved us from our sin and from hell, gave us a home in heaven, shouldn't He be the master of our entire life? You think about it. When somebody saves us from something, we say, oh, look, what can I do? I'll do anything. I'll, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. Why don't we tell that to God, to Jesus? He saved us, not just for life, but for all eternity. Why is he not the master of our lives? Why do we still want to serve ourselves when he's to be the master because he saved us for all eternity? Luke 6.46 says, And why call ye me, Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Uh-oh. Why do you call me Lord, but you don't obey me? That's how Christianity is today. We'll call you Lord on Sunday, but the rest of the week I'm going to do what I want to do. Jesus knows. Be careful. On page 62 here, the Bible tells us that obedience to the Word of God is the characteristics of a true believer in Jesus. If we love him, we'll gladly obey him. That's why he said the first and great commandment is to love the Lord thy God. Because if we love him, we'll obey him. That's how it works. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Why don't we? Why isn't he our master? Why don't we obey him? Why don't we keep his word? What's holding us back? Why don't we give it, go all in and give it all to him? Everything. Don't hold anything back. Why don't we give it all to him? Here at the bottom... We are not to simply study God's word for information, but for application. We are not to simply study God's word for information, but for application. Our Bible tells us this in James 1.22, But be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Be doers of the word. This is why I say find out what works for you. This is why I say start out small. Because this book is more, for, more than just for information for us to know. It's for me to live by. It's for me to take what he's teaching me and apply it to my life so I can live better for him every day. So when God shows me something, stop and think about it. Apply it to my life. Meditate on it. Let him teach me where it is he wants me to know. Now, on page 63, a few blanks here by way of application. Here's what we can do. Reject any teacher 
who denies or questions Jesus' deity. Listen, they're everywhere. They even come knocking on your doors. Let me tell you about this man who wrote this book a couple hundred years ago. No, I've got the book I need. I've got the book I need. It was wrote a couple thousand years ago. There ain't nothing new that came up that this book don't have that I need to know. It's all right here. Next, look for opportunities to tell others about who Jesus is and how they can be saved. Listen, if you pray and ask, God will open the door. He'll open the door for you to tell somebody about him. Because that's what he wants to do. He wants, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. So if you say, hey, show me, give me the opportunity to share you with somebody today, he'll do it. So be ready. Be sensitive to when he leads you. He'll lead you to share some things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw one more thing out here, okay? Always be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Because there are times in life, in another person's life, where they need a seed planted. And that's you. And the fruit may not come the same day, but the seed was planted. There are times where that seed needs to be watered. And you come by and you're going to say some things about Jesus to water that seed. But then there comes a day <laughs> when the seed brings forth some fruit. And that may be you. And you may be there and you may say something about Jesus and they say, yes, I want to trust him right now. And it may all happen in one day or it may happen over a span of time. But in either case, no matter which part you had, you are obeying the Holy Spirit where He can work to bring somebody to Him. So be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And when He opens the door, opens the opportunity to tell somebody else, tell them. Tell them. You don't know which part of that plan He's working on right now. The seed, the water, and the fruit. Whatever it is, it's important. It's vitally important. It's important for all eternity. So obey when the Holy Spirit leads. And last, pray about the burdens and temptations you're facing and remember that He is with you. He is with you. You know, sometimes we forget this. We get into a hard time, a hard place, and we think, oh, Lord, I'm the only one going through this. Oh, Lord, why me? Well, guess what? We're not the only ones. Jesus went through it. Other folks in our church family have gone through it. We're not the only ones. He's with us. And that's the greatest encouragement of all. He is with us. The one who created everything, the one who's in control of it all, he is with us. Doesn't that, doesn't that just make you feel encouraged? Don't that just make you feel a little bit better about problems that come up? Is that, hey, I may have this problem, but I got the person who created it all with me so he can overcome that problem, overcome that mountain, or give me the strength to go up it. 
there is a little bit about who Jesus is. Now, as you further in your study, your own personal study, you'll find a whole lot more in our Bible about Jesus. And like always, there's four devotions, a day for questions, and then Bible reading for every day. Find what works for you, all right? Pastor said Thursday night, we want to set ourselves up for success, not for failure. Do find the plan that helps you grow the best you can and go with it, all right? Next week, we'll continue, continue, all right? Next week, we're going to talk about salvation, your salvation. Now, listen, please be here for this. There are many questions about salvation that everyone or most everyone has had. They get answered next week. So please don't miss that, okay? If you know somebody that's not here, make sure they're here next Sunday night because this right here is a very good lesson, all right? You don't want to miss it. Let's pray, and we'll be dismissed, all right? Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you, Lord, for your son and the mighty work that you did for all of us through him. Lord, I pray that we would, uh, Lord, cherish, Lord, our Bible, cherish you and and your son, dear Lord Jesus, and it's all the great things that he did for us. Lord, help us to understand what we've learned tonight and apply it to our lives to better serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. See you next week.